Uh, I was just thinking there, um, when we were singing um, in our English language, uh, I was watching some of you guys from Ukraine singing. And um, I had a picture of, of us all singing in Ukrainian someday. Um, and it strikes me as we, are, as we are looking at this story of Nehemiah, where the people returned to rebuild the walls. It's so pertinent to your story. Uh, but I want you to hear this, that we are so blessed to have you amongst us. And I look forward for all of us to get to know you more, to be blessed by you um, before someday you go back and rebuild the, the walls with firm foundations with us. So God bless you all. The book of Nehemiah can be thought of in two parts. Uh, the first half is all about rebuilding the wall. And the second half is about renewal and revival of the people. And last week, we started into this second half where the wall has been built. And now there is this signs of revival. And so the people needed new vision for the next steps, for the, for the way forward. This is now the time of year when we go to the car and we're gutted when we realize that it's frosted up. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in the situation where everything's okay, you're just about on time for work, there's that meeting you've got to get to, and then you arrive at the car only to realize it's frosted up and you don't have antifreeze on you. And so you go out and you start the car and you know your time scale with Google Maps allows you about an extra 20 seconds before you were due to set off. And so you set the, the demister on to max and the hot, which is freezing, blasts up on the windscreen. And then there's this hope of one inch that appears on the sort of center of the windscreen and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I could just about get a wee bit there. And there's a wee circle up here that gives you perspective. And there's clear vision there. And you come to the decision that, you know, I would never do this. Uh, but, but, but there's this opportunity. Yeah, three inches is probably enough for a good vision. And I've got the perspective up here as if I drive like that. Have you ever done that? No, me neither. <laughs> But then when you get to the main road, having gone through your development or <laughs> your long driveway or whatever it is for you, um, you realize when you hit the road and, the, and the, uh, the windscreen is clear that the wing mirrors are frozen. And it's really frustrating because you thought, ah, I've everything sorted, but the wing mirrors still are frozen and you can't see what's behind. I've realized how important it is to be able to look through the wing mirrors, especially when driving through Ballinahinch when you're wanting to cross lanes. It's so important before you go forward to know what is behind. And that's kind of what's happening in this story today. 
Before the Israelites cleared their vision for the way forward, they had to see and they had to look and they had to have a clear vision of what was behind so that they were ready to go forward. And last week, Josh opened up chapter 8 for us where we saw the construction of the wall had been finished. The people now lived in security. They had new homes. They had jobs. But something was missing. There was a vacuum because although the stuff was all there, God was virtually non-existent in their experience. Even though they were the people of God, their experience of God, their relationship with God was empty. Isn't there a danger that our lives can be like that? Chuck Swindle uh, once talked about, uh, in a a museum, a a machine um, which was made of all sorts of wheels and cogs and pulleys and belts and lights and whistles, and they all moved in beautiful synchrony, if that's the right word, at the touch of a button. And someone once asked the, the, the maker of the machine, what does it do? And the inventor said, oh, it doesn't do anything, but doesn't it run beautifully? And I fear sometimes that that can be a picture of our lives or our church life, where we're the people of God, maybe running things so smoothly, but unless we have God at the center There's a vacuum, and it's purposeless and empty. And so that's what we saw as we opened chapter 8 last week, where there was revival starting from the reading of God's Word and a reality of the need for God in each of their lives. And the interesting thing is they were encouraged to rejoice That's what they did day after day for about three weeks of festival and and celebration. Rejoice in the fact that they are God's chosen people and look what he has done for you today. And that's where we pick up this chapter 9. So if if you've got your Bibles, keep them open at chapter 9, and we'll refer to various different verses. This is actually the longest recorded prayer in the Bible. Um, And so we're we're, we're taking snippets out of it and trying to uh, work through the theme of it. The festivities were over now, and two days had passed. And we pick up in verse 1. First slide there, um, Warren, please. On the 24th day of the same month, we read, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. There'd been celebration for three weeks. What just happened? Fasting? Mourning? Was that what God had instructed? Because the feasting had turned to fasting in just a couple of days. I'm not sure it doesn't say why they started to fast, but I believe it was something to do with this, that God's word had been read daily and explained, and somehow there was an awakening of a new consciousness of who God is. 
and they were overwhelmed. They were overwhelmed at who he is, but also of their own shortcomings. Isaiah records in chapter 6 his response when he saw the Lord high and exalted sitting on the throne. And he said this, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Romans chapter 2 reminds us as well that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And so in the next slide we see in verse 3, they stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God. For a quarter of the day, whoa, a quarter of the day, and spent another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord their God. We're going to do that today. No, but we are going to spend some time in the service uh, in confession, in private confession in a moment, but it won't be for a quarter of a day. But think about that. The whole nation stopped. I love that. In the middle of chaos and busyness and threat, they prioritized God and a whole nation stopped. Remember, a few weeks ago, I, I, I mentioned Cory Ten Boom said, if the devil can make us bad, sorry, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. They were determined that that would not be the case. And they spent a quarter of a day in confession. And so, this word then for confession... Confession, we, we know, is about, about bringing our own shortcomings before God, but it's also a word used in Hebrew to recognize what is true about God. And so the focus of these 33 verses is more on the full expression and confession of God and then their response of their feelings. It's the faithfulness and the holiness of God which is the focus of these verses. And this beautiful prayer follows, recording a nation's history and also pointing right the way through to God's holiness but God's faithfulness. What a great place to start when we think of our own perspective. I'm asking myself this question that I'm asking all of us. When was the last time that I stopped or that you stopped to carve out some significant time in confession for the Lord, for time with the Lord, to reflect on what he's done for you, even in the midst of chaos sometimes, to reflect on what he's doing in you and to reflect on what he might be doing and could be doing through you. It's amazing what they confessed when we read the words, when they stopped to think about God. And so there's this declaration of 33 verses of God's nature and works. And alongside this is an admission of their own feelings and sin. 
I'm going to highlight just some of these words in the prayer in the next few slides and, and about, about the, their confession of God. And every line in this is a, is a direct quote from the prayer. It's not in the order that the prayer is given, but just going through and picking out different themes, this is what we can see. So if we look at the first slide, the titles are mine, um, but, the, but the verses are straight from Scripture. You see, God, they recognized being, was being the creator. You made the heavens. You gave life to everything. But he's also, as well as the creator, he's one that sees everything in our own lives. He sees us. He hears us. You saw the suffering. God sees that. From heaven you heard them. This is all talking about their history and recognizing that God was there right the way through, even the suffering. But he's also the rescuer. You gave them deliverers who rescued them. They said, you sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh. You gave them kingdoms and nations. And so the list goes on about subduing enemies and in compassion delivering them time after time, even dividing the sea before them. And then he goes on to the next one, the, 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 uh, or we're going to go on to the next one, which is under the theme of provision, that God, in their hunger, he gave them bread and water and sustained them in the wilderness. But he also guided them, giving them regulations and law, laws to keep them right, giving them his spirit to instruct them, and he warned them and he led them. And then they finish in the prayer. It comes towards the end about who God is. The next slide. God's nature. They confess to him, look, Lord, you are a forgiving God, a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. And we were singing about that earlier, that God had acted faithfully. He was not one that deserted them. He did not abandon them in the wilderness. Can you hear that? And so in the midst of all of these themes, they confess their own shortcomings because there's nowhere else to go but to do that to God. Spontaneously, they just said, Ah, Lord, even though you've done this, we have been stiff-necked and arrogant. We have refused to listen to you, and we've refused to remember what you've already done for us. We actually even cast a golden image and we were disobedient and rebellious. You can read this right the way through. And they, they, we turned our back on you, Lord. All of these things come to mind as they focus on who God is. Isn't it funny? I was just thinking about this, that sometimes in private, but also in public, this confession, we sometimes separate the two of them. And we get so absorbed and focused on our own sin. And we separate that from the confession of who God is. Here we see that personal confession and shortcoming starts with confession of who God is. There is a habit that we have, at least I can have this, I'm sure you, you can relate to this, of, of, of rather than thinking of God, of even just not even realizing it, but comparing ourselves to other people. And we might think, well, at least I'm not as bad as him. <laughs> no, no. Uh, or, or at least, not, none taken. 
or, or, and we, we self-justify ourselves and dilute the idea of, of sin in our lives because we're not as bad as that context. As we see leaders falling in, 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 in government uh, and we see, we see uh, people failing in so many ways, even publicly, and we think, well, at least we're not as bad as them. Or we can compare ourselves with other and we can, others and we can feel, oh, my goodness, I could never be as good as him or her. But starting with God and confession reminds us that one, he is holy, but secondly, he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and rich in love. And it's interesting to see at the end of the prayer in verse 36 where it concludes, but see, we are slaves today. And they go on to talk about how we are in great distress. You see, God offered them freedom, but in their rebellion, they had become slaves. That's the nature of sin. It entangles us, and it's not what God wants. So we're going to do something a little bit different, just for a few minutes, in the middle of this talky bit. And we're going to have an opportunity to stop so that we can engage in silent confession. Confession of who God is and what our response to that would be. And we're going to put the three slides up. We're just going to circle through them. And as we reflect on the words of Scripture, of their experience of God as them as a people, what I want you to do is meditate on these truths or open up chapter 9, verses 6 to 37, and just meditate on those truths. This is not an attempt to earn favor with God, because if you're a child of God, as we've already been reminded this morning, through the cross, we already have a position with God as a child of God and favor with God. This is about removing the things that entangle. Maybe ask the Holy Spirit to reveal you something, reveal to you something more or something new of God's character. Maybe his holiness or his compassion. But in confessing God's goodness, then maybe also, as well as confessing who he is, let him show you areas for you that are separating you from him. Because if we are not in a place that is close with God, you can be sure it is me that has moved, not God. So ask him to set you free from any sin that has bound you. And what I would ask you or encourage you to do is don't jump to action points. We're going to talk about that in a moment or two. Let's just meditate on the truth of who God is, confessing who God is and what he might say to you in quietness as well, as Josh leads us in some music. And I'll be back in a minute.
And so, Lord, in the midst of busy lives, we remember who you are. So they spent a quarter of a day in confession, recognizing who God is. And then in, they said this as they decided to take action. In view of all this, we are going to make a binding agreement, putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. They went to God and said, oh, God, can we, can, can we start over again? They were serious about this act of renewal, and so they put their names in it, a kind of legal document. And as I say, this was not an attempt on their part to earn God's favor. They had already been reminded that they were the people of God. They had confidence and their confidence was in God and his continued mercy and faithfulness. And so this was a heartfelt response to forgiveness, a heartfelt response to favor already granted. And Josh reminded us last week that repentance is more than regret. It involves turning again and again away from a false way to a true way. This is the time of year when, when you wash your car, it's very frustrating. It's lovely when it gets nice and clean. But then you know that moment when you're driving along the road just freshly after wash, and there's that, sorry, Stephen, there's that lorry driver that you're stuck behind. Uh, Stephen's lorries are very clean. Um, and, and, and the dirt from the road comes up and you see it hitting your windscreen and you're thinking, but I just washed that. Look at, look, it's just, this is just so annoying. I want to overtake him and I can't. And, 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 and so, so I, I tend to back away about 100 yards and then I can't overtake, but at least I'm staying clean. And anyway, more you go on, the dirtier your car becomes. And it bothers me at the beginning but then as time goes on, as you'll see in the car park, uh, visual aid, that it doesn't bother me when the muck sticks a bit more because sure what odds, a bit more muck. It's already bogging anyway. I don't know how you translate bogging, by the way, Xenia. <clears throat> I find myself in need of renewal many times. And staying in that place of short account with God is a good place to be. <coughs> it's where you notice when things start to drift. And so this renewal is something that we have to keep doing, not for God's favor, but to keep ourselves close to him. I try to have a daily time of renewal every day to renew my life to Christ. 
we collectively try to have a weekly time of renewal. We have opportunities. We gather together weekly to worship. Yes, weekly. It's so good to be encouraging one another and be part of that renewing one another and praying for one another every week, not forsaking the gathering together, as Paul or the writer of Hebrews suggested. But I realize that there's so many reasons of health that stops people. This is not a guilt trip. It's an encouragement to us all to keep doing what we're doing. But also we have monthly renewal, a time of communion where we gather around the table, where we've that pause to reflect on who we are in Christ, to renew ourselves with him. But periodically also there is this watershed event sometimes, month, three months, whatever it is, where we can have a, a deeper time of renewal and resetting. And so for these people, they drew up this agreement um, and signed it. The leaders signed it. Nehemiah, the priests, the Levites, and they all agreed. Uh, all the people agreed to it. We were reminded in our life skills session a few weeks ago by Mr. Gilmore, no less, um, that... People consciously decide to set a goal. Uh, if they do, 25% actually achieve it, if you set yourself a goal. But if you plan how to do it, then you're 50% likely to achieve it, statistically. If you tell someone about the goal that you have planned to do, 65% chance, you have a 65% chance of success. But if you uh, talk to someone, set accountability for yourself, then 95% are likely to achieve that. These people were serious and they put it in writing and they were holding each other accountable and they, they wanted God to hold them accountable to it. And in closing, I want to just point out a few things that they did as they said, we get it, Lord. We confess who you are. We confess our shortcomings. Now we want to do something about this. And we're serious. It's not just a feeling of remorse. We want to do something about this. We want to change the way we are. And so they put, a, a, put together a kind of agreement. Agreement, as you can see written up there. And in three different categories, and you can see it in chapter 10. I'm not going to go into the detail of it. But the first was about family in verse 30. We promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of this land and not to let our sons marry their daughters. This was because they were surrounded by idolatry. Uh, and, and this was the, 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 the intermarrying was, was causing people to be drawn away from God. We are called in this world to be light in this world. We're called to be a witness. So we're called to be in the world. So the world is for witness, but the body is for our fellowship. And all of us, I believe, in family life, we need to examine what is it that keeps us distinct and protects us from an erosion of the values that this world would put upon us, especially for those of us who are parents. One day God's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And on that day, I guarantee you will all be going, I'm a sheep, I'm a sheep, bah, bah. We're not going to be going, I'm a wee bit of a goat here. You can be sure we will want to be identified as sheep. 
that process starts now. It doesn't mean we come away from the world. We've got to be so in the world to be light to the world, but we need to be distinct from the world, and we have a duty to our family. In business, verse 31, we promise, they said, that we'll refuse to do merchandise uh, on a Sabbath, that we will pay our temple taxes. The bottom line was they were saying that our work and our faith will never be compartmentalized or separated. They would put the Lord before their business dealings. And then thirdly, they talked about their duty to the temple. We will not neglect the house of our Lord. This by the way, infected their wallets. But in Nehemiah's day, the place of worship where God lived was the temple. And that's why they honored that. But when Jesus died, remember that the te- the, in the temple, the curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom so that God now does not live in the temple as such, but he lives in you and me if you're a child of God. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we glorify God in our body. Is your temple clean? Are there habits that are harming your health? Confess them to God. And so what? When we come to the end of this passage, we're going to sing in a moment or two. And then I want to just give us a closing thought, a very short thought before we go to prayer. If there's something that is negatively impacting your relationship with God, with your Heavenly Father, take time this week. Write it down. Maybe get someone to hold you accountable to it. Work out an agreement that you can put in place because this is so vital to our relationship to God. Do you need to reestablish a quality time, a deeper quality time with God on a daily basis of confession and time with God, reminding you, confessing who he is? That's between you and God. But we remember the nature of God first and foremost, that he's a holy God, but that he is gracious and compassionate. And we're going to sing about that now before we come to him finally in prayer.